grateful that several years ago, Pastors Alan and Yvette felt led of the Lord to come here and be the pastor of the church. It was God's choice, and his choice is the right choice. They've been faithful and uh, persistent and consistent in being uh, pastors here. And faithfulness is what God honors so much. He said, if you'll be faithful with little, I'll give you more. And uh, so get ready, because this has got a great history of faithfulness. I just appreciated it when I drove into the parking lot. Just one of the things that I've noticed here is just the cleanliness and orderliness of everything. From the parking lot that was so clean to the restroom that was so clean. I know you ladies have not been in the men's restroom, but <laughs> it's um, it's a lot it's a lot cleaner than and more orderly than most men's restrooms and churches. It's very very clean, very nice. <laughs> Smells fresh, and um, it's just it's that way all over the all over the building, all over the church, and it's that way in your own hearts. I, I can sense the fragrance of the Lord. Uh, in your heart. I was touched and moved by this young man whose dad apparently left, uh, maybe divorced, and uh, dad packed up and moved off. That, that's one of the reasons why God hates divorce. You know that? It's the kids. It's the kids. Um, marriage is intended to represent blood covenant. It's intended, according to Ephesians 5, to represent the relationship between Jesus and the church and his bride. And when we break that, we hurt a lot of people. It changes people's perspective on life, just as it changed his perspective on life. And um, it doesn't mean that if you divorce that God can't heal and restore, but we're so selfish today. Somehow we got the idea that marriage is all about us. Well, it's about us, a little bit about us, obviously for our pleasure. But marriage is not all about us. Marriage is about God and the kids that we bring into this world. And sometimes we're going to have to come to the place where we can grasp the reality that if I made my bed, I'm going to have to lie in it for the purpose of the children being reared in a good atmosphere, a godly atmosphere, and for the purpose of being a good testimony to God. We're going to have to come to grips with this thing one of these days because it's not about me and my pleasure. It is now. I've made the decision. It's now about what's best for others, not what's best for me. So uh, our world looks at things a little different than that. It's all about me. And now then, the Christian church is picking this up. You can go in bookstores, you know, how to get what you want from God. Oh, boy, come on. Give me a break. <laughs> it's not about me. It's about God, and it's about others. And it's not what, it's not what I can get that satisfies me, that makes me happy. It's what can I do to make other people happy. That's the main thing, to make them bring them to a place of fulfillment. Well, anyway, that's enough of my little uh, spouting off. I'm just, uh, I'm just amazed today at the attitude the church has developed about me getting blessed, about what is for me, what's for me, what's for me. It's for me. I don't want to go over there because it's not about me. You know, I don't get blessed. Well, well okay. Anyway, I'll be quiet. I'll shut up. Hallelujah. I'm just getting older, I guess, and getting a little more, a little more introspective. I guess I'm getting older. I don't know. I better be getting older. I don't, I don't want the alternative right now. Um, I would like for you to turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Second uh, Samuel. And... Um, Prayerfully, um, I can communicate what I have in my heart to communicate. I don't. I don't have a three-point sermon. Um, 
maybe it's a one-point sermon. I hope it's one point anyway. might be a point and a half. But I do have something that I have in my heart that I want to share with you that I believe that God is wanting to speak to, to this body in particular at this hour. I heard a lot this morning already. I've heard a lot about drawing near to God, about walking in His presence. I don't think there's any other way that we can live the walk, walk the walk, without walking in His presence, without being intimate with, with the Lord. And I know men sometimes don't like to hear this, but, but the alternative is to walk according to the law, walk legal, walk in performance, and not walk in relationship. And so we have to walk and we have to understand that Christianity is about our relation, the way we relate in a very personal way to Jesus Christ every day. That's what it's about. And so um, that's, this is what I'm wanting to go ahead and, and, and capitalize on, what God has already said. I just want to come in and reinforce that with this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, and it's about a fellow by the name of Mephibosheth. Yeah, have you, any of you ever heard of Mephibosheth? Any of you? Let's see your hands. Mephibosheth. How, how many of you have tried to pronounce that word, <laughs> that name? Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know that I pronounce it correctly, but it'll be good enough for today at any rate. In verse 1, it says, Now David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, number one, the word kindness is a Hebrew word that means covenant. That you've heard of covenant love or, and um, uh, his loving kindness. His loving kindness is a covenant word in the Old Testament. It is very, very clear through, through a word study. So he says, is, is there anyone that I can show kindness or covenant toward for Jonathan's sake? Why for Jonathan's sake? You remember where we are in the story is that David is now king. But he's king because Saul, who was the first king of Israel, David the second king of Israel, Saul and his son Jonathan were both killed in battle. So now David is, is king. And, and he and Jonathan had a covenant. Earlier in, in Samuel, you can read where they loved one another. It says their souls were knit together and that Jonathan and David made a covenant with each other. So he's saying here, all he's doing is bringing this covenant into, into practice now. He's saying, is there anyone left of Saul's household that I can show covenant toward? That's what he wants, because he was in covenant with Jonathan. Then he said, in verse 2, And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, uh, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness, the kathed, the kindness of God, and Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said, And I want you to notice these words carefully. I'm going to come back to them in a moment. Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Then David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness. Why did David say, Don't fear? Because the practice in the Old Testament was that when a another king came in from another household. If you, you weren't a son raised up as the king and you were, became the king, you killed all of the sons of the previous king. 
All of them. It's, pra- it's in the Bible. It was practiced. This is, I'm not just going back to ancient history. I'm talking about in the Bible. Why is it that, that Mephibosheth was lame? All you have to do is, we do is go back and we can look in, in the fourth chapter of 2 Samuel and we find out that when there was a battle, when Jonathan and, and Saul was killed and they got word of it, they knew that some other king, or they thought some other king was going to take over. So, so, so um, Mephibosheth, being five years old, the nurse picked him up to flee. Why? Because she had received word that they had lost the battle and he, that she knew according to their custom whoever came into power would kill all of the children of Jonathan and Saul. Every one of them. And so she picked him up to run with him and when she did, she fell or she dropped him. She picked him up and he fell from her arms. And, and the, 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 the trauma to his body caused him to be lame in his feet where he couldn't walk anymore. You see, it wasn't his fault, but here he is lame. The reason they were running was so they wouldn't be killed. And so he goes before David, and David says, Hey, don't worry about it. I'm not of your bloodline, but don't, don't, don't be concerned. I am not going to kill you. That's the reason he said that. Now follow on. After he said that, he said, um, um, verse 7 again, So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. That's that word, cassette again, having to do with covenant. I will show you covenant for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then, this is the last verse I'm reading, then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Now, this is is the point I'm wanting to make today. There are a lot of believers that have this attitude, Why should God do anything for me like as, as I am such a dead dog? I am no... Fitter than a dead dog before God. Dogs get a lot of blame for stuff, don't they? You ever heard? You ever heard that uh, of an egg sucking dog? Huh? I've heard of egg sucking dogs all my life. Breaking the in house, they start sucking eggs. They break them and they like what's inside. <coughs> and you can hardly break a dog from sucking eggs. You you just got to give them away, send them to the city or somewhere. But you can't keep them around the hen house anymore because they'll, they'll they'll, they, they will eat every they will eat every egg they can get their mouth hold of. They're as sorry as you've heard people say they're as sorry as an egg sucking dog. You know? <laughs> now I'm out in the country right now and I can talk country. I was raised in the country. You know, you ever see heard anybody called lazy as a hound dog? These dogs catch it, don't they? Poor dogs. Now here he is saying, I am just no better than a, a dead dog. Well, a dead dog's not worth a whole lot, is it? Mm. But there are people who have this kind of attitude in the church. I'm just no better than a dead dog. And the reason he said that was because he didn't understand the kindness or the consent or the covenant that had been made between David and Jonathan. He didn't understand that. You know how we know he didn't understand it? Number one, he wouldn't approach the king. He stayed out in this, out in this place called Makir. Makir, Makir look, look at that word. In, in the Hebrew, very carefully, the, the word means to give up. The word Makir in Hebrew means give up. He was living at a place called give up. We, we, live, in, we live in Texas. He was living in a province called Give Up. And he was living at a place in Give Up, like we live in Texas and you're living, let's say, in Granbury. He was living at a place called Lodibar. Lodibar mean, in the Hebrew means not hearing. 
No word. No word. So here he is. He's, he's in a place of living it in, a, in a state called Give Up at a town called No Word. I don't hear anything anymore. And Jonathan says, hey, is there someone that I can show covenant to? Yeah. He, 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 they, he got dropped when he was a kid, five years old. He's lame, but he's the one, he's Jonathan's son, the one you made covenant with. Hey, we don't, he said, bring him in. And he brought him in and he restored the land that, that had been taken away through his grandfather's death and his father's death. And he said, sit at my table and eat. What is the sign of covenant? The sign of covenant is always eating. Every covenant that is made, there is a covenant meal. In the Old Testament, there was a covenant meal that sealed the covenant. In the New Testament, there is a covenant meal called the Lord's Supper that seals the covenant. See, there's always that meal that seals the covenant. Now, what is the meal? The scripture says, man does not live by what? Bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you want to just exist, and who wants to do that, then don't worry about that passage of Scripture. But if you want to really live, you live not just by food, and you think by looking at some of us, like myself, that we just live by food. We think about food. There's a lot being said today about being overweight. But we don't live by food alone. I don't live by food alone, even though I may look like it. I don't. I live by every word that comes forth out of the mouth of God. Every rhema word, every word that is quickened to our spirit, that's what I live by. If you really want to know what living is like, you feed on the word of God. And we can't feed on the word of God until we understand the blood covenant of God. See, we can't understand that. So here he was separated. And by the way, you know what the word Methuselah means in Hebrew? Exterminator of shame. Exterminator. I'm going to say it one more time. Exterminator of shame. Methuselah. In other words, Methuselah had a namesake that he wasn't living up to. He was living in shame, living in shame over what his grandfather had done, probably what his father had done. And his grandfather had turned away from God. Saul had turned away from God. He was living in shame over, over the history of his family. He was probably living in shame because he was dropped and he wasn't worth anything. He couldn't work. He couldn't do what the average person does. Something had happened to him that wasn't even his fault. And now then, because it wasn't his fault, here he is living this shame out because now I'm not worth anything to anybody, particularly not to the king and not to God or anyone. And the story in this is to all of us who have had something to happen to us that we didn't intend for it to happen, but it happened anyway. And because of it, it made us feel like there's a shame upon our lives. And it, it, it's not necessarily what you're thinking. It's what the devil with this fiery darts has put in your own mind to make you feel like you're nothing but a dead dog. And God has a solution for that, and the solution is the, is, is, is the covenant of God. And to understand this, this, to understand the covenant means that we can exterminate shame from our lives. We can wipe shame out. And shame is what keeps us from drawing near to God. Shame is what keeps us from having a real, authentic, vital relationship moment by moment with God the Son and God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit every minute of the day. Amen. It is that shame in many people's lives because we've done something wrong, we failed, people found out about it, we divorced, we, we, our, our, our family divorced, uh, I... I I, I hurt someone, I murdered someone, I, whatever it is, but, but this thing gets a hold of us, and the devil keeps telling us, you're not any more, not, not any better than a dead dog. We don't want to tell anyone about it, and we don't even want to admit it to ourselves, but we walk around with this shame thing upon us. 
when what, it, what he wants is for us to live at the table, eating from the Word of God, because it's the Word of God that brings life to us and joy every day. When you're not in the Word, when you don't get along with God and open your Bible and pray through that, through the Word of God, and let the Holy Spirit explode the Word on the inside of you, life is not worth living. Because that word is the relationship that we have with Jesus. It is him speaking to us that brings life and meaning to everyday life. I don't know how you, how, there may be some here who don't do it. I don't know how you live like that. You're, you're missing something. Maybe you don't even know what you're missing. But when, you're getting in, when you get in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit opens it up and, and suddenly you see something we mentioned earlier, a rhema Word of God, a revelation, an illumination, whatever you want to call it, but something comes alive, wow, I see that thing. It may be 7 o'clock in the morning, it may be 9 in the morning, it may be 10 in the morning, maybe 11 at night. When you're alone with God on your face reading the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit enlightens that Word of your spirit and it goes off on the inside of you and you go, wow, I hadn't seen that before. I mean, it, it makes life totally different. Your day is different. You sleep different at night. There is, there, there is that living Word on the inside of you that you live by. And that living Word causes us to walk in a way that is authentic before the eyes of other people and releases God's power through us. You can't live without that daily injection of the living Word of God going off on the inside of us. And we can't have it if we don't understand covenant. We can't have it if we approach God with shame. Someone said earlier, the things that prevent us from intimacy with God. This is the main thing that pre prevents that. Now to understand covenant, let, let me just walk through a couple of things with you and, and, um, and, and we're going to pray over some people. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for covenant is berith. Berith simply means cutting. We're going to go covenant. You cut your arm, I cut my arm. We mix the blood, tie our arms together for, for a period of time. We will make an exchange. What you've got is mine. What I've got is yours. Uh, anything that's against you is also against me. What's against me is against you. Uh, your children are my children. My children are your children. Because when we enter into covenant, that means that our family is in the covenant. They don't have to make the covenant. They're in the covenant. You see? Because you and I made the covenant. We, we, we exchange weapons. In the scriptures, we exchange what they exchanged weapons. They exchanged the cloak. Showing that your, your, your covering is my covering, my weapon is your weapon. They fight you, they're going to have to fight me. They hurt you, they're going to have to hurt me because I'm going to hurt them because they hurt you. You got a boat for the Lake Granbury? It's my boat. Good. <laughs> That's Old Testament covenant. That what they would do, and you can read about this in Jeremiah. Now, look, look, look. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to go that way. All right. In, in Jeremiah, and, and I don't have time to go to Scripture. I, I've got them if you want to take the time, but we don't need to take the time. We can do an in-depth study later if you want to do that. But in Jeremiah, it describes one of the ways the, one of the major components of, of covenant, making covenant, would be that they would kill animals, split them in half, lay the half out like this, and they would then walk through. The blood was all over the ground. I mean, they'd kill the animal and flat cut them, not in half like this, head and tail, but in half like this, side to side, half head, half head, half stomach, half stomach, all of that, all laid out. Exposed, blood all over the place. And they would walk through the pieces. You'd stand at that end, and I'd stand at this end, and we'd pass each other. 
And then you'd walk and circle like that, and I'll circle like this, and we make an infinity, a figure eight, and we pass through the pieces of the animal. That's blood covenant. Now then, David and Jonathan made the covenant. Here's the key. The covenant means, though, that I have to perform, and you have to perform. You have to do what you said. I have to do what I said. And, and we're bound by death to do it. In other words, your enemy's my enemy. Your friend's my friend. Period. That was the covenant. The covenant was performant. This is the covenant that the children of Israel understood when Moses went to Mount Sinai and wrote the law on the tablets of stone and came back down. This is the covenant. And he read the law to them, saying, these are the terms of the covenant. Your debt's my debt, etc. You remember we were talking about it a moment ago. He read the terms of the covenant, which was the law, and they said, and you read about this in, in Exodus 19 and 20, they said, we will do it. However, in Hebrews chapter 8, we find out what was wrong with the law. What was wrong with the law, the covenant of the law that's passing away, was that they couldn't do it. The fault, you read it in Hebrews chapter 8, the fault of the first covenant was that they couldn't perform the covenant. They couldn't keep the law. They couldn't please God by keeping the law. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So that old covenant, that kind of covenant, is based on performance, performance, performance. I've got to do it. Most people in church today think and believe that this is the kind of covenant that God has with us. That he makes a covenant, we make a covenant with him, we agree, and therefore I have to perform, and he performs. If I don't perform, he doesn't perform. If he doesn't perform, I don't perform. One of us, we've got we've, we've to show it up, keep it up. I've got to do it myself. It is based on my ability to keep my covenant with God. That's the overlift. However, there is a new kind of covenant. It's really not new because it was before the law. Abraham comes before the law. Isn't that right? Abraham and then Moses. Moses is the one, the Mos we call it the Mosaic Law, the, the covenant of Moses, the covenant of the children of Israel. That old religious system was based on that which came forth from Moses. But before Moses, there was Abraham, and the scripture very clearly says in, in, in Genesis that Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Y'all follow what I'm saying? He believed God. He didn't perform, he believed. There is the covenant of performance and the covenant of promise. We are in the covenant of promise. Let me tell you how this covenant works. This covenant works like this. Turn with me to Genesis. Are y'all in for, for, for this Bible study? Okay. Genesis chapter, um, chapter 15. He tells uh, Abraham in, in, in chapter 15, verse 1, uh, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Then he tells him about how the, his seed is going to, to produce uh, uh, a company of people that can't even be numbered. And verse 6 says, He believed in the Lord, and he, he accounted it to him for righteousness, not performance, but belief, faith. Then he said to them, I am the Lord. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldees. And he said, verse 8, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, and, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Why? Because he was waiting on God to come and to walk covenant with him. 
because he was going to make covenant with God. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he, the Lord, said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land, and, and, it is, and it is not theirs, and will serve them in Egypt, in other words, and they will afflict them 400 years. And then he tells them about coming out of Egypt. And uh, in the fourth generation in verse 16 talks about uh, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so uh, they're going to put it off until the, the fullness of the iniquity of the Amorite is complete. And then in verse 17 it says, It came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between these pieces. On the same day, the Lord made covenant with Abraham. I want to ask you, who made covenant? The Lord did. He didn't ask Abraham anything, did he? Did he? In fact, Abraham thought, goody, 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 God is going to make covenant with me. I'm going to make covenant with God. We're going to make a covenant. So he kept the pieces, he got them all ready, kept the birds off of it so it would be ceremonially clean, and he's ready for God to come down. The sun goes down, and God puts him to sleep. <laughs> and he's laying over here going, <coughs> cutting the Z's, and God comes down as a, as a, a smoking oven. The typology is the smoking oven is typical of God the Father. And a flaming torch, typical of God the Son. And God the Father, the, the oven, and the torch, God the Son, walk the pieces. Now, now listen, God is making covenant with himself through the blood. Abraham is asleep. Then Abraham wakes up, and God says, I've made covenant with you. Do what? Yeah, all you've got to do is believe, and it is counted unto you as righteousness. You see? Now, we were talking about the blood a moment ago. What is special about animal sacrifices? What was so special about them? Because animal blood was innocent blood. It didn't sin. Because it didn't know it it didn't know sin. Right? Was it good enough? No. It was only a picture of the blood that was to come. Y'all follow? Why wasn't animal blood good enough if it didn't have any sin? Because the animal had no choice. It had to be perfect blood, blood that the Father gave. Sins were passed down from generation to generation through the male or female? Through the male. It is the Father that passed the, the generational sins down. It is the Father that, that passed on the image of man, not the image of God. So when Mary got pregnant by the Holy Ghost... Original sin was not communicated to the child Jesus because it was not the sin of a man, I mean the, the seed of a man, but it was the seed of God the Father that did not have original sin in it. So no sin was passed on to Jesus. Therefore, Jesus was sinless not only in his walk, but he was sinless in the fact that he had no original sin. Because as you know, the baby in the mother's womb, the blood is protected by a, 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 a uh, placenta, uh, by a membrane, protected so that the baby's blood stays the baby's blood. Y'all got it? So that when he was born, he was born innocent, not with sin. He was born innocent, and then he walked 
innocently never sinned so that when he died it was perfect blood which was the end of all animal sacrifices because now then someone came on the same turf that Adam was on and, and, and instead of being like Adam who made the decision to sin he made a choice to sin Jesus the last Adam made a choice not to sin and his blood was a perfect blood for sacrifice y'all follow what I'm saying so what happened was that when Jesus hung on the cross suspended between earth and heaven and his blood was being shed the perfect blood running down from his head and his side and his hands and his feet that perfect blood for the sin of all mankind when he was there on the cross it was God the Father who was swearing by the blood of Jesus Christ and it was Jesus who said this is my perfect blood for all mankind. So it was God the Father on the cross making covenant with God the Son. And when the two of them came into agreement, the covenant came into being and we didn't perform it. In fact, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And many of us were not even living at that time. So like Abraham, we were asleep over here and God made a covenant with himself because he swears by himself and there is no one greater that he can swear by than himself. Therefore, when you hear someone say, I made covenant with God, you say, you better not. Because you can't keep it. But if God made covenant with me, you bet him. He and Jesus made the covenant, and I'm just like Mephibosheth. <laughs> I, I got dropped. I didn't intend to. Somebody hurt me. Now I'm no good. My mother and daddy got up and moved off on me and left me out here helpless. My daddy was a bum. He spent time in the prison and all, on and on and on. Not, not really. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, not my dad. My dad's a godly minister on, with the Lord right now. But people are in circumstances like this today. Y'all understand? And we're often, we're often this little place of, of, of Makir, and no one cares that I'm out there. I'm not hearing from God because I'm no better than a, than a dead dog. And, and he didn't even realize that Jonathan and David had already made covenant. And because they made covenant, he was included in the covenant. Not by his performance, but because of the agreement between Jonathan and David. In the same way, I was like I was like Mephibosheth. I was dropped. I I was embarrassed over my life. I, I I couldn't live. I couldn't do anything right. And I'm living out here hearing nothing from God. And all along, I didn't realize it. But God the Father agreed with God the Son, and they made a covenant. And if I would simply believe it, I can walk right into His presence, and I can hear the voice of God. And every day. There's no need to be separated then. Turn with me to Hebrews 8 and I'm closing. If you pray real hard. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 8. Hallelujah. I think that's where I want to go. No, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham. You remember call it the covenant of promise? When he made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Why do I say the smoking oven and the flaming torch was God the Father and God the Son? Because it says right here that when he made the promise to Abraham, he swore by himself. God the Father, God the Son. He said, surely... 
blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Notice uh, verse 16, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability or the unchangeableness of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Do you know why that saying is we're saying God made a promise, God can't lie, I flee to him, and God holds his word true. He can't lie. That's what that's saying right there. So now then, guess what? The covenant is made. This covenant, I'm a, I made a note. I want to read it to you. Uh, I think I did somewhere. Yeah. In the old covenant, you remember the word breath was cutting? In the new covenant, it says, after that, I will come and I will make a new covenant. I will uh, literally, the Lord said, I will give people a new heart. You know what that new covenant is that you read? When you read the word covenant in the New Testament, it is the Greek word diatheke. And here's what diatheke means. It is an irrevocable decision which cannot be canceled by anyone. Listen to me an irrevocable decision that can't be canceled, canceled by anyone. It is not the agreement between two parties of equal status. It came about as an exclusive divine action which men can do nothing but simply accept. And that comes right directly out of the Vines Bible study, word study book. So it is not made the diatheke in the Old Testament, the breath was made by two parties who were mutually responsible. In the New Testament, the word covenant is diatheke, and it is not made by two parties who are mutually responsible. It is made by the greater to we who cannot make covenant. He made the covenant, and now we enter into that covenant as believing children. It is not a covenant based on our performance, but based on our belief. And all we have to do is accept it. And the moment we do, we can enter into the table. We can begin to hear the word of God. We can come out of that place that is separated. We can walk with him with no shame because the shame has been wiped away by the blood of Jesus Christ completely. No shame because it's not based on your performance anyway. Y'all got it? So the truth of this is that to understand covenant annihilates shame. So that now then I can enter into the new and living way that is made by the blood of Jesus. I can enter into it boldly. Not because I deserve it but because God the Father and God the Son made a covenant and I enter into it freely. Y'all follow? Therefore, my performance, my failures, God covered it with his blood. And now I can enter in and say, Jesus, thank you. I can look at you eye to eye. Father, I can look at you face to face because it's no longer based on my ability, but it is based on what you've already done. And I come to you without shame. Without shame. So, we want to release people from shame today. By you simply believing that he's done it all. You will never have to, on the day of judgment, 
You never have to go before God saying, Oh, God, I can't even look at you because I'm so ashamed of my life. And I'm, 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 oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, we'll never go before him like that on the judgment day. On the judgment day, we'll slide in on our knees. And we may bow our heads, but we're not bowing it because of shame. We're bowing it because of holiness. The holiness of God. Oh, Lord. And when we do raise up and we look at Him, we just see love and acceptance and glory. So much so that we just want to bow again. Glory to God. And you wonder why they say, holy, holy, holy. Every time they raised up, they saw Him. Oh, holy, holy, holy. And they'd raise up, oh, holy, holy, holy. They'd raise up here, oh, holy, holy, holy. Not, oh, me, oh, no. like It's not that. Because the covenant Remove the shame. We're, some of you people have been dealing with shame all of your lives, if not all of your lives, for a good number of years. And it just doesn't want to go. Doesn't seem to want to go away. We're going to break that thing. Could be shame because of your family background. Could be a lot of things. I just want you to stand up right where you are. Now I've got shame. And I wanna I wanna I wanna I wanna deal with it once for all. Don't be ashamed. This is a good place. Don't be a fear don't be fearful. This is the place where you want to deal with shame in the church, where people love you. They won't talk about you here. You're safe. We're gonna break this thing and you're gonna walk free. Free, free. Free, you understand? Free. Free. You sense the presence of God here right now? You know what's happening? There's a deep work being done in these lives. I want you just to turn your heart to the Lord. Open your hands to him. Lift them in a receiving way. And I want you to repeat after me. Say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Not in my name, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for making covenant with one another and swearing by each other so that I could enter in so I believe that you have made covenant with me. Nothing can keep me away. No threat of the devil. No past actions that I have done. No family history. No nothing can keep me from an intimate relationship with you. So I break the power of shame. The enemy has tried to convince me that I am not worth anything. I will not receive that. In fact, I reject Satan. And I command that every demon that has been putting thoughts in my mind which do not line up with the Word of God that that enemy's voice be stopped right now. I come into agreement with you that the power of Satan has been destroyed by the life and the sacrifice of Christ. Therefore, in his name, I command you to shut up and quit speaking words into my mind that do not line up with the Bible. I will walk by the Word of God and not by my imaginations and not by words that the enemy puts in my mind. I will stand on the Word. I will believe the Word. I will believe the living God. Therefore, I am free. Shame is not part of my life. I am a child of the covenant. I have believed Therefore, I am in your family, God, according to your word. And I receive your love, your acceptance, your forgiveness, and your freedom.
now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Just let it go. Come to the table. That's right. That's right. person to stand beside each person that's standing. doesn't matter who you are. I just want one person to, to stand beside the person that's standing. And I want you to look at them in the eyes. Just take them both, both hands, turn around and face each other. And I want the one that stood concerning shame. There's one lady right over here that doesn't have anyone. There you go. Thank you. And I want, I want you to look, hold them by hand, and I want you to look at them in the eye. And those who stood to break this, this I'm a dead dog syndrome off of your life, I want you to look at them and say, I'm not like a dead dog. Just tell them that. I want you, I want you to say this. In the blood and by the blood of Jesus, I am free. I am free from shame. I will walk in confidence before the Lord for I am free from the past and the blood of Jesus Christ has covered my actions, covered my family's actions, covered my history, covered my background and I am free because I'm a child of God and I want to I uh, declare this to you and confess it to you and will you please come into agreement with me? And the other person say, yes, yes. Now hug. God bless you. <laughs>